Hello and welcome once again to Learning Digital Photography. I'm your host, Jason Anderson, and you are listening to episode number 49. On this week's show, we've got Eric Brunskill back on the program. Eric has been a regular contributor. Uh, he's also been a, a good friend, and uh, he's, I've bounced lots of ideas off of him. He's helped me with the redesign of the website, but... Aside from all that, he's also a very talented photographer, so we're going to bring him back on the show, and we're going to be talking about some great photo tips, uh, ways to improve your photography in different categories, different genres. We've also got the news and the listener questions and answers of the week, so all that's coming up right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to Learning Digital Photography. With me on the show this week is Eric Bernskild. He's returning to the scene of the crime once again. Eric, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. I'm very glad to be back. Good to have you back. And by back, you really do mean back because you just got back from a couple trips where you uh, you were in Germany, Portugal. T tell us a little bit about that real quick. I was. I've been just last week I was in Portugal enjoying a vacation We'll need vacations from time to time, uh, mm -hmm. connecting away from sure. the internet, just disconnecting in general. And then before that, I took a trip with my dad to Germany, since I'm a, I'm a musician and organist as well. Uh, so we took a trip visiting old uh, Bach places. Really fun doing some driving in Germany. Nice, General fun very nice. Day. Very nice. Sounds like you had a good time. And it is good to unplug. And before you come back on the grid, always nice to unplug. I do recommend doing that occasionally. That's kind of a good photo tip, too, which is a theme for the show, is don't always just be so on. It's okay to take down time and take time yeah. away to let yourself refresh. So welcome Absolutely. back. Good to have you. Let's Thank go ahead you. and jump right into the news. Uh, the first little tidbit of news that uh, came out recently, relatively recently, um, one that I saw that Eric linked in to from the show notes is um, some firmware updates from Ricoh, Samsung, and Canon. It looks like there were several uh, firmware updates that uh, Eric found out about over at DP Review. And I'll go ahead and let you take uh, the lead on those since I've not had a chance to look at them in probably as much detail as you did. So what did you find out for, about Ricoh and Samsung? Well, it appears that um, Ricoh and Samsung have both posted some uh, quick firmware updates. Um, Ricoh's updates covering the um, A12 50mm equivalent um, macro, uh, S10 and P10. Um, and it just fixes some bugs, bringing in a few improvements. Mm -hmm. um, and Samsung has been updating the um, EX1 and also for the TL500. That's the, 500. That's that's the Samsung one, right? That's the, the Samsung. Yeah, the, the EX ones. It's hard to keep all these alphabet soups of names and numbers it is. It is. It straight. Is. It's kind of crazy. That's why we have places like DP Review, though. So these that's are really fun. good yeah. resources. We'll throw a link to that in the show notes. It's over at DP Review. It's dated from the 16th, which was yesterday, I think, yeah. uh, based on when we were recording this. So, um, yeah, there were the Ricoh and Samsung firmware updates for their camera bodies. Uh, going back a little bit, because I don't think I've talked about this since the last podcast uh, that was recorded, is that there were also some firmware updates to some Canon 
gear. And since this is the Canon Blogger podcast or the Learning Digital Photography podcast with the Canon Blogger, we should talk about some of the Canon gear. And uh, (laughs) the Canon uh, bodies that got firmware updates, there was um, the Rebel T2i, which I'd done a review on that got a, a firmware update, as well as the 1D Mark IV. So for those of you Canon shooters out there, if you haven't checked the web for updates, you may want to go grab those updates as well. That was back about, uh, what, about two weeks yeah, ago? Yeah, July 7th, that was. July 7th. And you should so. probably notice that um, the T2i for all international listeners or people in Europe like me, it's called mm-hmm. the 550D. Right. And in the yeah, US, it's, the... it's T2i. And yeah. it it's the Rebel line. That it is so. a, a movie bug that they fixed. It should be pretty good firmware update to do. Or if you're uh, using it in Spanish language, you have corrected misspellings on the um, 1D Mark IV as well in the French. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't realize there were some language corrections in that. That's oh, pretty funny. Well, we all make typos, so. We do. Canon's, Canon's no different from anyone else, I guess. Very cool, very cool. Another cool piece of news. Speaking of cool news, it's always fun to talk about giveaways. Uh, I saw that Lexar is having a Facebook giveaway. A lot of these Facebook giveaways are uh, cropping up lately. This one from Lexar is over at facebook.com forward slash Lexar Media. Uh, don't worry about writing it down. As always, we will share links in the show notes. But what's cool about this is their grand prize. Have you had, have you seen this yet, Eric? This is really cool. I'm just taking a look at it right now. It seems really yeah. nice. Hey, it is really nice. D300S. Yeah, they got a D300S it from Nikon. Or if you're a Canon shooter, you can also walk home with a 7D. And these are cool. You know, these are the I, I, these aren't their top of the line cameras. They're not the the best of the best, but they are both higher-end cameras at the high-end. I would say they're both at the high-end of the uh, prosumer or enthusiast range of cameras. They're yes. not entry-level. They're not the professional grade, but the, they're at the high-end of that middle grade of cameras. So you're getting a, a really good deal here. Uh, you're getting those. You're getting some Lexar Compact Flash cards, um, let's say a card reader, you Total value between twenty eight hundred and thirty one hundred dollars. So some if you if, if if you'd like to win twenty eight hundred dollars worth of gear, go check out the Lexar Media giveaway over on their Facebook fan page. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. So those are the uh, news items that uh, we have for this recording of learning digital photography. Anything else we wanted to uh, mention in the news, Eric? Did you have anything? That was coming well, up I, that you know about? Did, did I, I just on your blog the other day, and I think you might be the guy to talk about this. Um, you're doing some workshops, aren't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, yes. That, yeah, I guess we can talk about that for a minute. Um, yeah, there's a Lightroom 3. There, well, there's a Lightroom 3. There's a lot of workshops that are coming up. There's a Photoshop World coming up. Kelby Training has launched uh, a series of Lightroom 3 workshops. And myself and Kara Garrison of uh, Camera Dojo have also launched a, a Lightroom 3 workshop. But this one's going to be a little different from how workshops and seminars are normally done. Because normally, when you have discounted or low price, um, or I shouldn't say low price, but competitively priced workshops and seminars, it's really just an overview kind of thing. You know, you're trying to just get people in, show them the basics, nut and bolt. 
and uh, get and be done with it. And what we're doing with these workshops is we're actually making it a full day workshop that's starting at eight thirty or nine in the morning, depending on the city, and we're going till five or six o'clock at night with only a half an hour break for lunch. So we're really going to get in depth. Classes are limited too. We're, we're we're limiting the size of the classes to no more than fifty people. So that way you can really get some hands-on, one-on-one experience and exposure and get your questions answered. So it's not just about learning Lightroom 3. It's learning about how to incorporate Lightroom, if you've not used Lightroom before, or incorporating the updates in Lightroom 3 to your specific workflow. So that's more of what uh, our workshops are about, is incorporating Lightroom and the updates into your workflow and making it work best for you. Whereas a lot of the other ones are more just introductory. Hey, here's Lightroom 3. Here's the features. Here's what it can do. See you next year. So it's, that's not the approach we're taking. We're getting more intimate, more down and dirty, more detailed, really getting all your questions answered, getting you as much up to speed as we can, can get you in the course of an entire day. Uh, tons of stuff being given away here, too. I think when Karen and I talked about it the other day, we valued, there was, I think, close to $150, $200 worth of... Uh, uh, presets and uh, gift certificates and and other little holsters and gear and giveaway and bags of swag and all this fun stuff. So it was like $200 worth of stuff that we're giving away from sponsors and supporters. And the workshop itself is only $99 retail. So even if you go in at full price, you're walking away with $100 more in uh, retail value. And we have a discount going on right now too where you can get in early, early bird savings for $79.99. So, yeah, that's the workshops. That was um, not something I intended to talk about so early in the show, but that's okay. It's always fun to talk about the upcoming projects, and the workshops are definitely a project. So that would be the um, photography news uh, for this episode of Learning Digital Photography. Do you want to just move right on into the topic, Eric? I think we should do that. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and move right in. One quick note of thanks to Red River Paper because they are a sponsor of the blog and podcast series. You can get, uh, let's see, you can get a $5 discount on Red River Papers and products by using code CB18 for a $5 discount. And if you want to get their sample pack, you can use discount code CBSHIP to get a sample pack with free shipping. So thank you to Red River Paper for your sponsorship and support. So, getting into the topics, we're going to talk, we could be talking to you about how to shoot this, uh, sh- different photography tips for different types of photography. Um, the first uh, category or genre or subject is the most classical one, and that is landscapes. Because everyone, I think everyone I know who's ever picked up a camera has started with landscape photography. I did. So I, I think that's the, it's the most natural one. It's like you see a pretty scene, you take the picture. And there's more to it than just seeing a pretty scene and taking a picture, though. Yeah, so they're, how could, seeing so, this, they're seeing the scene and taking the photo and getting the photo as you saw the scene. Right. So how would you say is the best – like what's the first tip you could think of when it comes to making better landscape photos? And I do say making for a reason, but we can get to that in a minute. Yes. My first thing, which I always do when I, I'm going through the landscape, is get down low. Don't be mm-hmm. afraid to get a little bit dirty on your knees. Get down low. 
that's seeing the world in a new perspective. Instead of seeing it, we all walk on our two legs, even though we differ a bit in height. We're still around <laughs> roughly the same height. So roughly, we see the depending. World, yeah, yeah <laughs> we see the world relatively the same. But if sure. you go down and lay flat on the ground or just sit on the ground, you're going to get something different. And that's an angle that we don't usually view the world from. So that's, right. that can get you really, really nice photos. So, yeah, that's a great idea um, to get down low. I really think that's a, an excellent tip, Eric. Um, it, you know, the foreground detail that getting low can uh, do with your photography is it, it just can add so much more depth and so much, and it, it can enrich a photo really, really well. So great tip, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess for, for my own contribution in landscape, I would say uh, a great tip is to go wide. It, it, you, if you have a wide angle lens, if you don't have a wide angle lens, I should say, uh, you probably want to go get one if you're into landscapes because landscape, landscape photography really benefits a lot from having a wide angle lens so you can really get the effect of the vistas and the views and how wide things are the big blue skies or the the depth of the ocean or whatever it is you have to meet, or the the height of the trees you know whatever subject matter you have going wide will always give a better sense of scale than not going wide which is the alternative. So that's my tip. I, in, in my own gear, actually, one of my favorite lenses is my Canon 10 to 22 millimeter. Mm. It's an EFS lens. This, now, this won't work on a full frame camera. Uh, if you're not familiar with full frame versus crop sensor, we can talk about that. Shoot me an email. But the EFS 10 to 22 is a great lens. I don't know. Have you used that, Eric? Have you used the 10 to 22? Well, I'm an I'm a Nikon shooter, so I don't really use the Canon glass. But my favorite well, landscape lens is my uh, Sigma 10 to 20. Just 10. love it, love it, love it. Yeah, and that's only a two mil difference, so it is. And I I usually want the 10, yeah, and not the 20. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just fantastic when, when you can go wide. So if you combine those two things, going wide and getting low, you can add a lot of depth and a lot of perspective that normally you wouldn't see when you're just standing up and looking at a scene normally. So yeah, those are two great tips. Anything else you want to throw in, Eric? I'd say go out the right time of the day. So of yes. course it depends a little bit on what you want to cover. Um, if you want a sunrise or sunset shoot, you don't want to go out in the middle of the day. But I'd <laughs> Be a say long wait. Yeah. I'd say don't go out in the middle of the day regardless. I think any time when the sun isn't right straight up in the middle of the sky is a good day. You can probably you can probably get away with with photos, landscape photos most time of day apart from midday or when the sun is highest. Right. That just makes it so flat. All the light goes very flat. Um, very totally hard agree. to make any good photos. Yeah, totally agree with that. And if you have to go out when the lighting isn't, I guess to kind of add to that, if you if you have to go out in the middle of the day because schedule or whatever, and you you know just the only time you really have is on your lunch break or something like that, if you have to go out during that time of day, there's ways to address that, and you don't yes. want to just shoot, you know, without any kind of awareness of what the light is doing at that particular time. So if you are going out at a bad time of day, you can counteract that to a degree. With uh, filters, there's uh, polarizing filters. There's uh, actually uh, filters that are called ND filters or neutral density filters. 
And what these will do on, I'm sorry, those are ND, ND filters don't do that. I'm thinking about the stop filters where it'll put the ND filter. Is that the ND? Okay. Yes. These semantics. They'll they'll darken the entire frame for you. Right. And longer exposures. Right. And you can get them in various stops where it'll, it'll, it'll cut out one stop of light or half a stop of light or a quarter stop of light or I've heck, I actually did a do-it-yourself project. I'll probably talk about this on another show. But I just did a DIY project on a lens filter that cuts out 12 stops of light. Ooh, cool. My favorite <laughs> filter, ND filter, is actually my uh, Hoya. I think it's ND4, 400, ND4000. I don't remember exactly how much stops it cuts out, but it's a lot. You can do yeah. long exposures fairly early in the day. Yes. Yeah, and that's one of the benefits of doing these long exposures is you can take out that light which can or cancel out that light which would otherwise be unflattering in your landscape mm. photography. So those are some I think that's probably enough tips for landscape photography. So if anyone has any questions that we've not covered when it comes to landscapes, feel free to email us. You can reach Eric over at you can reach me um, at my blog, ericburnskill.com, and I yeah, hope to put a link in there if you can spell sure. my last name. Sure. And mine, of, and mine, of course, is jason at canyonblogger.com. So that is landscape photography in a nutshell. Um, next up on our topic of how to shoot this is uh, portrait work. Uh, there's a lot of people, I'd say second only to landscapes is portrait work, where people go out and want to take pictures of family vacations. So they want to get their spouse or their kids in front of the Eiffel Tower, or they want to get, you know, the Louvre or whatever, you know, whatever vacation destination you're going on, you want to take pictures of people there. So portrait work can often benefit from some tips as well. The first one I've always uh, recommended is to really get up close and personal with your subject. And if you go and take a picture of someone in front of the Eiffel Tower, if you stand too far back, yeah, you can see the Eiffel Tower, but you can't see their face. Uh, that's not nice. So, yeah, because you, you want to see their face. You, won't, you know, it's the people that you really are subjecting or that you're photographing that are the subject. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to get close, to really know who it is. And you can still get a sense of surroundings by increasing your depth of field so you can see the detail in the background. But you really want to get close so you can see who it is that you're taking a picture of. Because people, in general, I would say, enjoy seeing pictures of people. I think, yes. that's, I think that's part of what makes it so appealing is the, you know, the ability to see others. You know, that's what really draws us in. So that's my first portrait tip. What about you, Eric? Would you, do you have any... Um, I, I think I'd go saying use light to your advantage. Light doesn't have to be hard. Light Photography is light, of course, but thinking about where the light is coming from really can, can enhance your portraits. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. For example, I, I've done a whole workshop in my school, actually, where, where I basically did a couple of lighting tips. Now, I used flashes there, and if it's possible and, and the light isn't good, then bring your own light take a flash and start learning experiment with the placement. But I, I really must share one of my favorite techniques, and this can uh, be done with the sun or a flashlight. And that's position, think about a person and, and imagine a head. And if you try to get the sun or a flashlight positioned right, right behind the head, maybe even sticking out a little bit to one side, when you take that photo, you're going to get a light burst coming from behind the head 
giving a nice little rim light around the um, entire head, looking a bit extra lit. So I think that's a really nice effect that I definitely recommend to try. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that effect done very well with a, a couple different portrait photographers. And when it's done right, it looks pretty amazing. It's a, it's a yes. pretty powerful effect on a photograph. Mm -hmm. And it tip. isn't really that hard to do. It isn't. It isn't. And to that, and to that end, also speaking on um, um, using light and using light to your advantage, bringing your own light. You don't necessarily have to bring your own light. You don't have to bring a flash. If you have lighting conditions that are less than favorable, you can modify that by using shadows. So you move into a shadowed area, and then you can bounce light or reflect light into there with reflectors. And you can diffuse it with diffusers, and you can, you can throw a diffusing umbrella up. So, you know, it's always helpful to think about how to manage or focus or m control the light, whether it be introducing your own because there isn't enough, or redirecting the existing light to your advantage. So, yeah, because lighting is really what's going, the quality of light is really what's going to make or break portrait work, I would say. I if agree. You, if you, you can have the most beautiful model in the world, and if it's not flattering light, doesn't matter how good looking they are. <laughs> the light needs definitely, to, definitely. light needs to flatter them. So yeah, um, I had mentioned this when I talked about getting up close and personal, where I said you can increase the depth of field to give a sense of the surroundings. In general, though, with portrait work, what you don't want to do is increase your depth of field too much, uh, unless you want to give some sense of place by uh, showing the Eiffel Tower in the background. Most of the time with <laughs> portrait work, you want to actually go with a shallow depth of field because most of the time with portraits, you don't want there to be any focus on the background. You want the background to be completely blurred out. And in portrait work, so I guess this is another tip, is to predominantly use a shallow depth of field so that those backgrounds do get blurred. So that would be another tip for a shallow depth of field in portrait. And also to have your subject stand a little further away from the background to help throw it out of focus. So the focuses strictly on their face. So that's another tip I have for portrait work. Wow, we've got a, we've got a lot of tips already. We, we, what do, do, we, just, we do, we do. We said get close. We said uh, use the light to your advantage. Shallow yeah. depth of field. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more. There's always more tips. There's always more. Do, but oh, what do you have? I know, you, I know you've got probably something on, on your noggin that I can't think of. So, Do you have any other portrait suggestions? Well, I'd probably say this ties in with your shallow depth of field. Um, use some fast, fast lenses, fast glass. Yeah, fast. Oh, yeah. yeah. In order to get that shallow depth of field. Yeah, um, and it's not cheap. It isn't. I mean, it isn't if you if you really want if you really want to up your game, meaning go you know go for the best, go for the best quality images you can get. At some point, you are going to have to invest in some lenses, some glass, and. Photographers call lenses glass just because the glass is what makes up the optical element, which is the most important part. And fast glass is helpful. What 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 speed glass would you recommend most for I'd, portrait work? I'd want to shoot at at least um, two point eight, which 2. means 8. I I might want to get a one point um, eight lens and just stop it down just a bit in order to get its its maximum sharpness. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a great idea to shoot a little bit inside the ex the limit of whatever lens it is you're shooting with. So if you've got a uh, an f two point eight lens, yes, that's fast, but you're going to see more distortion or aberration mm -hmm. or it's going to be a little soft. 
not, yeah, it's not going to be as technically as technically as critically soft. That's the word I was thinking of. It won't be mm-hmm. as critically sharp on the edges of the lens that you're shooting with. So if you've got a two eight, it's best to shoot that at a three five. If you've got a one four, shoot that at a two point eight. And I guess we should probably clarify what we mean by fast glass because we're talking apertures here. So for those of you that might might not be aware, fast glass means you're going to have a much narrower aperture. Where it, it, I'm saying that backwards. Yeah. <laughs> aperture is a very difficult subject because even if you it know about great. it, you can really mentally say the right thing and verbally say the wrong thing. But if you throw your aperture wide open where it's at its widest possible point, that actually is referred to by a number. And the lower the number, the wider your aperture. And the wider your aperture, the more background blur you're going to have. So you want to shoot wide open, which is what it's typically called. And that'll be at your 2.8 or your 1.4 level. And then bring it back just a little bit to make it a little more narrow so that you can maintain that critical sharpness that you need inside portrait work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, great tips on portraiture. Um, let's let's close that out unless you have anything pressing that you'd like to add to that uh, topic of I, discussion. I think we can move on. Next up being on. flowers. Sure. Flower photography, Ooh. always yes. a popular one, especially during the summer months because especially a lot of flowers. A lot of flowers in bloom. Yes. All right, well, why don't you go really ahead? Helpful. This is really really helpful subject matter to to photograph because they stand still and it's (laughs) one of the few subjects you can shoot in bad weather so going out on days that are overcast and Mm -hmm. when you generally think well i can shoot a landscape today lighting is too bland then that is the day when you're going to go and shoot some flowers because normally when you have um, strong sun coming at your flowers that you want to shoot you get these very high contrasts and you have shadows which don't look as good in flowers. So yeah. overcast days, flat and even light, really, really good for flowers. Yes. Another thing that works really well with flowers that actually is not in our show notes that I'll add in here, uh, speaking to bad weather, uh, right after bad weather is when I usually prefer, if you have to choose before mm-hmm. the bad weather or after the bad weather, I would choose right after the bad weather because that means it's rained and you're going to have really nice drops of dew and moisture and raindrops that can really add a nice effect to your photos for lack of a better phrase. So flowers and flowers and moisture. And I also think the water tends to make uh, leaves and petals pop more and more vibrant. Yes. And on that note, actually, if, if you don't have bad weather coming your way, or if you're expecting storms that will tear your flowers apart, then just go and get a little um, spray can mm-hmm. and yeah. fill that with water. Bring bring with you. Just first do some shoots with a dry flower, and then you just spray on. Continue shoot some with the wonderful droplets, and then you can control more where they are going to appear uh, on your flowers. So that's also a little quick tip. Great tip. Yeah, I actually have to admit I've done that myself. Some people may call that cheating. I think it's just making the scene that you want to make. Absolutely. So if you've got a particular vision, there's absolutely nothing wrong with making that vision a reality. Um, Let's see. We've talked about overcast. We've talked about dew. Um, I like macro lenses with flowers. I don't know. Have you used macro lenses? I I think bringing out detail in flowers is 
often very useful and beneficial. And that's tougher to do when you're further away. Well, I, 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 shouldn't say, I, I shouldn't say tougher, but when you're further away, you can't appreciate the detail as much. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be absolutely you know, crisp and sharp and everything, but if you can't really see all the intricate details of like the little hair follicles on the stem of a flower or on the stamen or on the petals, the impact isn't as great. Whereas if you get really up close and personal where you're shooting at a macro level where it's a a one-to-one scale or a one-to-two scale and you can see that level of detail, that can really help. So that'd be my tip for floral photography is to use macro lenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, macro lenses are really fun and they don't require as much work to get a good photo. Right, right, right. And actually, when using macro lenses, if I can throw in one other one here, I would also say with macro lenses, I would recommend using manual focus. Yes. Because when you start getting up that close with a macro lens, if you try and use autofocus, it can search a lot. It'll spin forever. Yeah, it'll spin forever, so it can't lock in on focus. So if you switch it to manual mode and manually adjust it, and you got, you're going to want to be careful with this, though, because if there's any kind of breeze going on, it can be pretty agonizing to get that focus locked in. So you want to work when there's not as much of a breeze. Or, or alternative, set up some shelter. Yeah, or set up some shelter to block the wind. Or if it's flowers, which it is in this case, you could conceivably even cut them and put them in more of a studio environment to you control could. things like breeze. But we're talking about ambient light here, so probably not as appropriate to cut and i know in the state of colorado some flowers you can't cut so there's like state flowers and national flowers that are off limits so i don't know what's the national flower of sweden um do we have national flowers i think we do i know the u.s has a national flower i know we have i i know we have regional flowers here for our um counties here Tell you what, we're going to throw a little tip, a little freebie in for a Canon Blogger listener. If you'd like to listen to the Canon Blogger podcast on your iPhone or iPad, you can get a free app from us if you message into the show and tell us what the national flower of Sweden is. <laughs> so there's a little freebie for CB listeners. Okay, moving back on topic. <laughs> Let's see, flowers, flower photography. Yeah, we were talking about flowers. Um, yes, we are. You said overcast. I have a final tip here. Okay. For flowers before we wrap up that, unless you have some more. Um, no, that on. is, when we we're done with this macro bit, don't shoot down on flowers. So if you're just a tad wider than macro and you want to include a bit of background, mm-hmm. don't shoot down. Yeah, shooting down is bad. Yeah, it is. So imagine you have this wonderful, uh, say, nice growing um, rose that's growing fairly high up from the ground. They usually are. Um, and you... Place yourself above the flower. Shoot right down in the middle. Remember, you're not you're not as close up, so you you're not just seeing the flower. You're seeing the ground below, uh, which is perhaps covered with other green, lushy um, dirt. Thing. Yes, probably dirt, um, green grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great and, idea. It's a great and, idea. And when you have that, you suddenly get a vision that the rose is lying flat down on the ground with no depth of field. So. Even if you're not using, even if you're using a shallow depth of field, do get creative in your positions. You get shoot shoot up towards the sky, get the sky in the background, maybe line up in the, at the same height of the flower, and then shoot mm-hmm. in the air. Yeah. It's also it's also the way we said about landscapes, getting down low. Shoot the flower like we don't see it normally when we pass it. 
And that's what makes for intriguing floral. I tell you, some of the most engaging floral photography shots I've seen have been from that pers- that really low perspective where yeah. – and I even tried it with the droid just the other day with my smartphone where I just took my droid and I put it down on the ground right by a flower and pressed the button to uh, shoot. And it got this long stem shooting up into the sky mm-hmm. and the far distance of the sky was the petals of the flower. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to do that kind of thing because it really it is. turns per, the perspective around completely and, and catches it from a new point of view. So, yeah, point of view, flowers, uh, don't shoot down, shoot up. Very good tip, Eric. Great idea. Okay, uh, let's see. We've ta- Wow, we've had a lot of tips here. Uh, we've talked about flowers. We've talked about portrait. We've talked about landscape. Not much left, is there? Nice well, actually, I, yeah. actually there's, there's one more. We could probably talk about architecture. Have, yeah, have you so done any? Fun to do. Have you done a lot of architecture work, Eric? A lot is probably pushing it a bit, but I, but I enjoy some. doing it. I did a lot when I was in Germany because they have these wonderful different houses, and we went to a lot of churches as well. So there's a lot of very very nice architecture you can look at. So yeah, yeah, it's a great opportunity for some architecture. And I bet with the churches and castles, you had a lot of good leading lines to shoot from, and a lot of good angles to work with. I did, I did. Which brings you into your first tip then. Oh, was that mine or was that yours? I guess that was mine. Well, it could be your style. Either way, it doesn't matter. These are tips for the listeners. So the first tip that comes from architecture is to look for lines. And like Eric had mentioned with his churches, uh, churches, uh, good lines come from the crosses, can come from the angle, the curvature of the archways. And just if you look for lines that can draw people into your image, that's always a good thing. So look for lines that can point towards a certain direction or that are pointing away from a certain direction so that I can follow that line through the image. And it doesn't have to be a straight line. You can do straight lines, curved lines, angled lines. Um, different types of linear progression can have different effects. So depending on the effect that you're going for, you may want to look for different types of um, leading lines, as they're called in photography composition. So that's my tip for architecture. Very good tip. And to build upon that, um, also in my churches and my and all the houses, I saw textures and colors. That's probably mm-hmm. what we are really excited about seeing. I mean, you probably walked by a house that had some really interesting textures sure or or was colored in this bizarre way which is still really cool and thought and as a photographer you immediately think i'll take a shot of that so find these great textures bring them into the foreground com- combine that with the lines and some interesting colors and i think you have a winning shot there absolutely absolutely that's a, that's a great tip the one thing i've noticed with uh, textures and colors is uh, brickwork for some reason, yes. always seems to be a draw for me. And it doesn't matter whether I'm shooting a brick wall of a building or, you know, inside a building or a brick wall of a church or whatever, if it's, especially if it's older brickwork. The textures on brickwork can be so gorgeous, especially if you've got the right kind of lighting for it where you can get lighting and shadows all within the simple texture of a wall. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a great tip for texture and color. And even with even with brick, you can, you can have variations in color from one area of a building to the next. If they, you know, it's, yeah, textures and colors, great. Yeah, sorry, I, I keep on diverging. I, I tend to do that, and I digress a lot. So, Eric helps keep me on point. 
Uh, yeah, those were some good tips for architecture. We covered a lot. Uh, architecture, flowers, portraiture, and landscape. Uh, anything else you wanted to throw in there, Eric, on uh, how to shoot different topics? I, th- I think that covers a good ground for, for today. Yeah. Now, I should... I- I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if and if you're listening here, have your favorite tips on how to shoot landscapes, portrait flowers, uh, and all sorts of things, do send an email or a contact us. Leave a comment on the, the show notes and, and yeah. tell you what your favorite tips are. We'd love to hear them, and maybe we do follow up on this and include some of your tips. Absolutely. It would be a great for another podcast. Listener tips. Ooh, yes. the listener tip show. So if you want to hear your name on the next or on, on an upcoming episode, I shouldn't say the next because uh-huh. – I can't schedule that well. I'm not that logistically <laughs> prepared. But on an upcoming episode, if you'd like it to be the listener tip show, uh, we can probably uh, accommodate that. But we need to see a bunch of listener tips come in. So you send can them e- in. send them in. You can comment over on the blog. You can email me, Jason at Cannonblogger.com. You can email Eric, Eric, Eric at, at BurnsGuildMedia.com. I can never remember whether it's BurnsGuild or BurnsGuildMedia.com. So Eric at BurnsGuildMedia.com. Uh, great resources out there, and there's there's definitely more tips than what we've covered today. There's hundreds of thousands of different types of tips to help improve your photography. So that's going to wrap up the main topic of conversation for this week's show. Uh, a couple of listener questions that came in, since they're not listener tips, there's listener questions. Um, you had the first one from Mark. Didn't that come in to you, Eric? Yeah, it did. So yeah. Mark wrote in saying, I'm a regular photographer that had an online portfolio done for me about a year ago and so in Flash. Should I be concerned with the iPhone and iPad not displaying oh, it? Oh, the Signed fl- Mark. <laughs> yes, and that's probably, isn't it, the it's... death topic? It's been debated to death. People are complaining. And as a, as a web designer, obviously, uh, in my case, I really must take my opinion on this and say that um, I think yes you should be concerned that the iPhone and iPad isn't displaying it mainly if you're a commercial photographer or are attracting people to view your work that is probably going to purchase from you or hire you to, to, to shoot them if you just show off your photos in general to friends probably needn't be as not as much with that no not as much but if, yeah. if you want to attract some sales from it definitely should be concerned now i don't think and i don't want to go into the debate here saying that well it's not good that the iphone and ipad isn't capable of displaying flash i'm not gonna go there at all but i think we just have to deal with it this is the way it is it's probably not going to change for a while and if if at all so yes <laughs> be concerned all. now Build your HTML website from it. Make it indexed in Google even better for that sake. And mm-hmm. yes, be concerned. I, I think that's definitely a legitimate concern, and I would actually have to echo Eric's sentiments here as well. As as useful as Flash is, and I know photographers have used Flash for a number of years. Uh, initially, the, cons- the 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 use of Flash was done to help protect your images. You know, photographers went to Flash based presentations online so people couldn't right-click and save as you know people couldn't download the pictures for free but these days with the advancement of screen capture software and 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 upsizing uh imaging uh software that's available if someone wants an image they're going to get it from you so the security benefit of doing a presentation in flash 
really not as uh, prevalent as it used to be. So, no. and I think we did we discussed that when I was on back in January. We talked about sharing and and websites and stuff. And I think mm-hmm. we covered all of the security bit in Flash and whether to yeah. go Flash or not. So if if you're interested in that, that still holds valid even though it's now July. So go back and listen to that show. Man, you, you, I think you're more up on my podcast and my shows than I am, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a good – and it, it brings up a, a valid point about the use of Flash and or the non-use of Flash in iPhones and iPads. And I would say that it is something to be concerned about but not overly concerned about. It just means if you're designing a website, keep in mind that there's going to be viewers out there that will not have Flash. you know, And that's something to always keep in mind. So mm-hmm. definitely be aware of that. I, I know a couple of web designers actually that um, uh, can help you with web design if you're looking to get a site designed. Uh, do you, and I actually know one in particular, uh, yours truly here, Eric Brunskield. Uh He helped me with my website design, helped me do the rebuild and the layout of it. So if you're interested in getting some web work done, definitely talk to Eric. He's one to talk to definitely when it comes to the issue of Flash as well. So he can help you design sites that are Flash or non-Flash based and does so quite well. Well, thanks for the mention. And then I'll have to just slap in here for the listeners. Um, If you do choose to go with one of my services, then say you're from Canon Blogger when you sign up and you'll get 10% of all services. All services, 10% off, Merrick Brunskill. Yes. Very cool. Second question. We, as you can tell, I really get off topic easily. <laughs> Second question <laughs> was, uh, which photo editing software should I pick? This is a perennial question. I've gotten it a lot lately with these Lightroom workshops coming up. And to the listener or to the, 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 the listener's credit, I should say, yeah, the listener's credit, uh, Christine, um, this is a really good question. I'll just read the whole question. Uh, what photo editing software should I pick? I really don't want to spend too much money on it, but I'm prepared to pay for the quality. Uh, keep in mind, photography is a big passion of mine, but I just do it as a hobby. And uh, thank you, Christine. It's a very good question. It's a very common question that a lot of people ask. Uh, it's something that we all grapple with, with, especially with the economy being where it is right now worldwide. I mean, it's it's hitting on all shores, so it's a, a valid question or a valid point when it comes to purchasing software because a lot of this stuff isn't cheap. You know, we, we, we talk about Photoshop, and Photoshop is probably the the software program with the most muscle in it, the most uh, powerful editing functionality to it. And that I don't know how much that costs in Sweden on international rates, but I know in the U.S. it goes for six or seven hundred dollars. That's a lot to spend on a software it application. Is, is. Even Lightroom, with uh, being as quick on its feet and as as wonderful an application as that is, can go for three hundred dollars. You know that from the contest giveaway. So six hundred is the high end, three hundred is the mid ground, but the the quote unquote on the cheap, the uh, software that really I think does well. Isn't really all that. It's it, it's not cheap. It's um, uh, Photoshop Elements. Uh, you can get Photoshop Elements for seventy nine or ninety nine dollars U S. And it's it's a great alternative to the heavier, beefier programs that are available on the market. Um, that would be my recommendation when it comes to uh, software. So I don't know. Did you want to throw something in there too, Eric, on the software, or does that cover your side pretty well? It covers my side. I think I agree with you definitely. 
Cool. All right. Last question for the day. We're going to actually kind of uh, move along quickly here because I know both of us have things to get on to. Uh, last question comes from Seth. My photos always seem to look washed out in my browser. Is there a way I can optimize them to make them look better online? Yes, yes and no. Can. It can, yes. Yes, there is a way you can make yes, them look better good, online. Good answer to this. Yes, there is. Um, <laughs> Very can, quickly, what you can do is you can save for web. The, and the yes. problem that you're talking about is uh, photos getting washed out. Uh, and the reason why they're getting washed out is because most browsers are not color aware. So it will mm -hmm. try and render uh, these rich color gamuts or color displays like Adobe RGB. And the best thing to do is to save them down to sRGB, which is web safe, web friendly. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you can really optimize them best for the yeah. web. It's, and you'll it's, see what it, what it looks like before you save it out, which is yeah. also the big bonus. You'll get the soft proofing there. Right. Right. Okay. Listener questions. Uh, thank you to, who was it? Mark, Christine, and Seth. Thank you to Mark, Christine, and thank Seth you. for the questions. A couple quick picks of the week before we wrap up the show. Eric, what's your pick of the week when it comes to products on the market? I actually have two picks. It's one product and one website. So okay. my product pick is the Low Pro Slingshot Bag. And I've used this one for years. If you haven't seen it, it's basically a bag with uh, with one strap around your shoulders um, so you you strap that around uh, and it also has a little secure strap to to keep it balanced but what you can do is you you un unplug that secure strap and then you can swing your entire bag around so you end up with it the front side of you instead so you can open up take out your camera very very simply shoot put it back in close the close the lid with lid on the, the bag and then swing it back around and that makes a whole difference when you're out shooting not so much landscapes because there you have the time but in cities uh, when you're traveling yeah, if you're doing photo walks that's that's a great kind oh, of bag yeah. to have great kind of bag to have and they're, they're fairly cheap too because some of these bags out there can get pretty darn expensive mm -hmm. and and, so this, and, the, and different bags. models too yeah from different from very small to the large size is very large. So I have the middle one, which I think when I carry it, it's it's a good weight balance on my shoulders. Yes. I don't really imagine how the large one is going to feel, considering it's just one strap. It can get a bit heavy. So I like the middle one. Yeah, yeah. Middle ground is always a good starting point to work from, and then you can go up mm -hmm. or down from there as needed. You said yes. you had a website too. What website was I your have website? website so pick? if you haven't seen this, it's a web comic series it's called what the duck it's just hilarious incredibly funny it's made by um aaron johnson he's just he's done this for a couple of years now and i mean it's just really really fun it's taking parody on photographers and also client side of things so you'll definitely mm -hmm. enjoy this yeah, if you're into photography at all and um uh you're familiar with the name scott kelby and if you're into photography you should know who scott kelby is uh, he actually had a, uh, Aaron as a guest uh, poster, a guest blogger on his blog uh, just this last week where um, he shared some uh, strips there and perspectives on mm -hmm. things. So What the Duck is a great website. Absolutely hysterical. It's in my daily feed list, so I see their cartoons every day. Good picks, good picks. I don't have a website pick for this week. Um, I am going to uh, promote a product, though. And my pick of the week is actually... Uh, Mac speak is it Mac 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 speech dictate is the product that I'm going to pick. I've been uh, working on this. I've been reviewing it. 
Uh, I'm really happy with its results so far. I'll look for a detailed review to come up soon. But I can tell already that this is going to be a pick for me. This is really going to help me a lot with writing. In particular, when you get Max Speech Dictate, it comes with a really, really, really nice headset. It's a Plantronics headset with the microphone and headphone plug-in. And then that plugs into a USB converter if you don't have those plugs on your computer. And it just, it works super well. I'm using that headset right now to record this podcast. So that gives you an idea of the recording quality of uh, the Mac Speech Dictate Plantronics headset. Great software, great hardware, really a great product. Uh, that's going to be my pick of the week. And if I had to pick a website off the top of my head, I would actually say the Canon website. Uh, not just because I'm a Canon shooter, but also because they just did a redesign. And it's a, got a new look and feel to it. It's definitely a needed upgrade. So if you haven't checked it out yet, that's my pick of the week for websites. Go check out the new Canon website. Uh, that's going to wrap up this week's show. Eric, thank you very much for stopping in to take the time to talk to us about these photo tips and tricks. It's always good to have a, a tip show, if you will. We haven't had one of those in a while. So good to get some tips and feedback from others in the field. Um, you can find Eric over at his website, which is burnschoolmedia.com. Yes, uh, you, can find my, you can find my company there. So I do um, – I, I put out a number of websites. You can find everything my company and me does there, a lot of tutorial videos and stuff like that. Or you can find me personally on my blog, ericburnskill.com, where you'll also okay. find links to all my places, as well as on Twitter, of course, twitter.com slash ericburnskill. That's me. And on Facebook as well as Eric Burnskill too, yes. correct? Yeah. So Eric Burnskill, you can, it's a very, I shouldn't say uncommon name, but it's a, it's a very unique name. So if you, need to, if, if you need to find it, you can also Google it. We'll have links to everything about Eric in the show notes. Uh, canonblogger.com for myself. Uh, uh, CB Jason on Twitter. Uh, Canonblogger over on Facebook. You guys know the deal at this point. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Eric, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for letting me be on. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. We'll see you next time here at Learning Digital Photography. Have a good weekend and happy shooting, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye.